Welcome to the Panic Pod. It's been a while since I uh, last released an episode. Uh, according to Spotify, it's July, um, but I'm back. Um, thank you all for the uh, lovely words of encouragement and support, and even those who were vitriolically demanding that I do some more as well. I appreciate that as well. I'm sure that's a compliment in its own way. Um, I've sat down and scheduled some wonderful uh, topics and guests um, for this upcoming kind of season or whatever. I don't know, I don't know what we want to call it, but that's that's what we're going to do. Um, he's on again twice. It's his second appearance on the Panic Pod. It's the wonderful Drew Linsalata, our special guest. We we many moons ago we did some Instagram lives uh, alongside the wonderful Kimberly Quinlan, and this topic kept coming up. Uh, over and over again and it was about the, the fearing just having emotions um not even just anxiety just having emotions sometimes people fear emotions um because it might trigger their anxiety um or just have fear having emotions anyway we'll talk about that today i think it's a really super good topic um and if you're listening thank you for tuning in um, how you doing, Drew? How's life over that side of the Atlantic? It's awesome, man. Thanks for inviting me. I feel privileged. I'm part of the comeback. Yeah, the comeback. Yeah, definitely. I had this big list of topics, and I was like, I just need to sit down and book in all these sessions and uh, and these topics. But I, this one's a really good one. This is one I wanted to, 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 to put down first. Ella and I covered a lot of kind of you know that the basics of anxiety disorders and things but this one kind of goes into outside the realms of anxiety disorders sometimes what do you think fearing emotions what do you think uh i think it's both it, it definitely shows up in the process of anxiety disorder recovery and i think for a lot of people for whom that's a problem it's a carryover from sometimes the rest of life just the idea that emotions can be too much they're too big they're, they, they're going to be overwhelming. They're going to be overtaken by strong emotions. So I encounter a lot of people who come into the process of recovery already with that idea that th their emotions are, they got to keep them at arm's length or they'll just be overwhelmed by them or they're not allowed. They've been taught by their experiences that they're not allowed to have big emotions. That There's a lot that goes into this. Yeah. I remember when I jumped on your podcast and I, you know, spoke about interjections and it's something that I've spoken about in previous episodes here. And what I've been talking about a lot kind of this year so far is this topic of emotional conservatism. And that's when we revere our ability to not show emotions, you know, particularly when you're on this side of the Atlantic in the UK, you know, the stiff upper lip, kind of thing. Uh, emotional conservatism was fantastic years ago, um, particularly during the world wars, you know, when we have to huddle together as a collective, you know, knuckle down, avoid uh, German bombers, work together, you know, keep everything afloat, support each other. Yeah, we didn't really have time for kind of individual kind of emotional needs at the time because there was, it was life or death. But in my opinion, what's happened um, is that over time, this kind of emotional conservatism is still revered. It's still revered as that 
as, as the champion, Churchill's champions. We, we, we won the war and stuff. And you see it throughout patriarchal structures and you see it through even families where people genuinely believe they've interjected that if you show emotion, whether it's anxiety, anxiety disorders, panic attacks, or even just sadness, crying, anger, if you show that emotion, then that is in some way a weakness, which in professional terms is just a load of nonsense. <laughs> yeah, that's a technical term, right? <laughs> Complete bollocks, I believe you might say. Um, yeah, and so many people labor under that assumption. And then when they come into the realm of ang disordered anxiety and they're trying to work the recovery process, that becomes an obstacle. We talked about that. Obstacles, that introduction beliefs episode, I think, was that. It was obstacles to recovery because of the beliefs you bring into this. Um, and that's part of it. So I think that whole like, you know, yes, it's weak if you show emotions. The other belief that I see, unfortunately, so many people come into this with is that they were taught that their emotions are inconvenient for the people around them. So don't make a scene, don't act out like I'm having a great day. Your anger is harsh and my mellow man says your mom or your dad or your big brother or, or, or <laughs> you're in an abusive relationship. So I know this is a little bit outside the realm of disordered anxiety, but I think it matters because people bring those beliefs into this also. Like I, I was not, I was punished for showing my emotions. I, I wasn't allowed to have them. Whoa. That's, yeah. that's always heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, I mean, and, and that wires the brain in a certain way, doesn't it? When you're like, when you start to punish yourself having emotions. I think when, when we talk about this, I think we should look at it through the, the concept. Let's break it into two parts. Let's look at it in the sense of how it affects anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. And then, then let's just look at it holistically, like as a whole. So for me personally, and this was a big one, I, when I was in the midst of an anxiety disorder, I was afraid to feel emotions, whether it's intense happiness, uh, particularly euphoria and mm -hmm. stuff, or, or joy. I was super scared to, on both ends of the emotional spectrum, to feel really positive things because I was afraid it would trigger anxiety, panic, that feel feeling like I'm not in control. And I hear this a lot in my practice. But also on the other end of the spectrum, I was afraid to even feel sad or tired or anything like that, because suddenly, with anxiety, it'll make you catastrophize, and it'll catastrophize anything. So suddenly, tiredness and a lack of motivation, well, a lot of people can misinterpret that as, oh my God, what if this is the first sign of depression? And if I'm depressed, I can't function. If I can't function, no one loves me. And if I, no one loves me, then I go and kill myself. I hear that so much, and it's just not true. It's yeah. the anxiety saying, what if? So let's. I just wanted to hear your thoughts framed within the context of anxiety disorders, why would people be afraid to experience emotions when they have that fear of fear, that, that the stuff that we talk about daily? Yeah, I, I think I can relate. I was exactly the same way that, you know, everything morphed into fear. So for me, every single emotion that I experienced, even at the worst, even at the lowest level would within a minute, it would morph into fear. Everything just became fear. It was, it was incredibly disheartening and really frustrating because I felt like I'm not allowed to feel anything here. I just had to try and keep it like super even keel all the time. Mm. And, and that like, oh, I'm feeling low. So this might mean I'm depressed. I, I relate to that in a big way. I think for me, I can explain it from where I come from. And I think from what a lot of people describe is 
emotions elicit responses like physical responses and emotions even trigger more emotions like that's the way humans are built it's supposed to happen but we're so on guard i was so worried about every change in my body and every change in my mental state that it was all interpreted as threat because uh oh this is what panic feels like this is what anxiety feels like this is what uh, oh my god feels like so every emotion quickly created a response which is a normal response they still create those responses now in me i just they just don't morph into fear because i'm not afraid of the response anymore so i i think it just it's like somebody who gets on a treadmill and it you know five minutes into it their heart is pounding and then they panic because it feels like a panic attack very mm -hmm. simplified but i think very similar yeah. feels strong and strong is panic and anxiety so boom it, it instantly rolls into that I remember it just it, you, you talking then just re, re, reminded me of a memory where I was in the gym doing those things and not necessarily fearing panic, but I remember the rush of endorphins and things, all these positive chemicals. I would misinterpret as like a sign of mania or something because I hear this so much. I'm afraid to have positive emotions because it's – Oh, it's the first sign of mania or undiagnosed, undiagnosed bipolar or things like that. Uh, I don't know, some of my very good friends have bipolar, but when you're got an anxiety disorder, you're catastrophizing everything. You're seeing things through the lens of threat. And so, what I find is that this is where almost everyone with like kind of anxiety, OCD stuff is that I was trying to neutralize everything. If I just feel neutral and normal or slightly happy or just slightly anxious that was the safe space mm -hmm. and i did that for so long because i was conserving myself because i believe that if i experience emotions on the far end of this each end of the spectrum that would tie into a belief that i was going crazy or losing control. Do you ever hear that in, in your work from people? Oh, yeah, all the time. There's right. that fear of I will be overwhelmed by those emotions, especially in the midst of, you know, disordered anxiety when it can just get amplified and then that cycle gets the fire gets lit and it just burns out of control. That feeling of being overwhelmed, I will be overwhelmed and that will lead to a psychotic break. It will lead to permanent incapacitation. I will lose touch with reality or on the flip side, negative emotions. I will sink into a deep clinical depression for which there will be no way out. Um, so yeah. And I can completely, I did the same thing, man. Trying to keep an even keel all the time is exhausting and dehumanizing to a certain extent. I remember feeling like this is insane. The worst for me was getting angry or upset. Anything that annoyed me, it was instantaneous five alarm fire of fear and just, ugh. That's an interesting as well one as well because do you think that might have tapped into interjections? I love it when they overlap. I love it when I'm in my therapy practice and you see kind of anxiety disorders and interjections overlap, where certain emotions are actually trigger the fire alarm more. You know, so for when I work with clients, like if someone showed 
anger or upset, you know, as opposed to maybe an excessive hyperness or or excitement. That would trigger more anxiety because you weren't allowed. They just weren't allowed. And if you think any child's brain where they're genetically wired to adore what their parents think, and that you go into adult with that, and suddenly you adulthood with that, and suddenly you have these emotions, you have these old lessons, the old conditioned amygdala saying, "No, that's that's actually a threat as well." You know, you yeah. weren't allowed to do that, so that must have been doubly difficult for you, stuff like that. <laughs> uh, I think it's in, this is such a good conversation because I don't think I came into it with those kind of. I mean, I was just rebellious. Like I would just let it fly whenever it was. I was never really terribly demonstrative person, but I had no problem displaying anger or any of those things. Like I was, you know, I made a career a little bit out of like being uncomfortable in those uncomfortable spaces of conflict. And sometimes that happens in business. I never had a problem with that. It was for me almost just a purely like, oh, this just triggers this wave of responses, which I interpret as a threat. So I think I was a little more mechanical, mm. but I do know that I was keenly aware of the message I was sending my kids and they were small at the time. Now, you know, a lot of my anxiety disorder took place before I was a dad, but the bulk of my recovery and I went through the worst of it, I think unmedicated and raw, my kids were little and I was so concerned. Some of that was that obsessive thinking that kicks in, but I was super concerned that I was spending so much time and energy trying to not feel and just be even all the time. That so, I, oh, so it was I, really hard. I've, sl- I've slipped your kids my uh, therapy card. To us. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Like, if you need help, this is the guy to call. Trust me, we'll take care of you. I'm, I'll be fine with that. But I remember thinking, like, this is, I know this isn't right. I should not be showing them that everything always has to be, like, you know, even all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I spent a lot of time, probably too much time, tell, you know, making sure they understood, like, all emotions are okay. You don't have to. You don't have to just, you know, uh, explain why you're crying or why you're sad. It's okay. You'll work it through. I couldn't for myself at the time, but I felt this deep need to make sure that I, I was telling them different than I was showing them. Oh, I, I hear that from parents all the time as well. That again, that 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 reverence of no emotion. It's like I, I hear people like, oh, it's really hard to do my exposures because my kids can see. I'm like, well. When we talk about interjections, what will you what would your child interject when they say see you being anxious and doing it anyway? What will your child interject when they observe that their parent is is openly being anxious but owning it, having agency and autonomy over it? You're actually teaching a child through your behavior that being anxious is okay. You end up in seeing people like me, <laughs> therapists, <laughs> when it's not okay, you know, because have you noticed that, and you know, you work with so many people with agoraphobia and, 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 and panic and stuff like that, is that sometimes what, does, what gets in the way of recovery is trying to do it in the shadow of taboo, to do it hidden. It's like, well, you're inadvertently teaching the brain that it's still not okay to panic, when yeah. you're trying to hide it from everyone. Now there's a difference. Obviously you got to, you want to respect your own privacy and you don't have to show your vulnerability to the world. But like when it's for people who you apparently, you know, your loved ones that are supposed to be there for you. It's a bit like, you know, tell people that's what happened session one here, you know, tell you, tell your family members, tell this, you know, and then, Oh, you know, Oh, my husband or my wife, she won't, you know, they won't, they won't like it. I was like, well, why are you with them then? <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm quite candid. I'm just like for sickness or for or you know or worse, for better, better or worse. worse. Yeah, it's like not that worse. Yeah, not it's that anxiety. Worse. Yeah, it's anxiety disorder. Like it's all right. A bit of support, you'll get through it. But yeah, it's um, it's tough. I, yeah. I think it makes it even harder. It's a hard hard thing to do as it is, and then when you add that on top of it, it's like any more you can pile on your own shoulders. I, I think you, the emotional conservatism that you grew up there in your culture in the UK, I totally get that here. We have almost, um, especially when it comes to men, I think we've got this crazy thing that's gone on for the last 10 or 15 years where we wear this, this cloak of like, there's so much in this on social media too that I see. And I've, I've cut it all out because it's ridiculous to be honest with you. Like, let me teach you how to be, a, we have to return to what real men are. You're the presider, <laughs> the, presider the protector, the hunter and gatherer. And what a horrible message that is like, okay, yeah, sure. That's part of the role probably for just about every adult though. We all take care of each other. Right. And that I have seen that get in the way for so many, so many men. And that is heartbreaking. Like, dude, I don't know what guru told you that you are literally supposed to think that you are a lion. A dick. <laughs> yeah, get your money back because they ain't helping you. So, well, well it's really interesting. Here's a morose fact because um, it's why people tune into the Panic Pod to sure. feel morose. morose. Facts. I do. Morose yeah. I, I, and I'm writing it in in my in a book called "Shit Your Therapist Is Thinking." So, if I've if you're listening to this retrospectively years later, and I've been cancelled, know that this is where the start of it came from. But no, a, a lot of. Um, in shit your therapist is thinking in the introduction i talk about emotional conservatism i talk about like why it was good in the wars and stuff but now the biggest war is kind of it's shifted from the trenches shifted from running from nazi bombers to depression the biggest mm. killer of men is depression more than cancer more than murder more than sepsis more than it is outrageous that I mean, this is the war. This is the battle, and some people genuinely think that the antidote to that is to be more manly. I think it's. I think it's the other way. I mean, obviously, with this is this, this this applies to women too, because emotional conservatism does apply to women. I right. see it loads. In fact, from uh, uh, these kind of patriarchal traits that exist in family structures, where there doesn't have to be a man there, it can be. I've worked and seen it where with all female families. Where raised by kind of mom or grandma and stuff, but those kind of emotional conservative traits are still there. Yeah, it doesn't help at all. But um, you know, and it applies to men because it's the stereotype. But in general, it applies to everyone. You know, um, and particularly for anxiety disorders. Part of what I do with my clients is that homework one is to allow yourself to feel. It's cliche and weird but you have to allow yourself to feel and it will come out in weird and wonderful ways because this is i mean the, the greeks knew how healthy it was you know they invented the word catharsis it's never changed and that's why greek tragedies uh, evolved they weren't tragedies weren't there for you know to go and just laugh because the oedipus banged his mom and took his eyes out they were there because they actually it was a tragic it was a tragedy it was so scandalous and so sad that the people stood in the amphitheater would cry and everyone yeah. would cry as a collective and they realized that this was good, you know? Uh, and our modern day equivalent is probably, you know, sitting, <laughs> oh, watch Netflix or yeah, I yeah. watch, watch This Is Us and that. <laughs> Get through season one of This Is Us. 
any episode without crying, and, 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 and you're, you're a monster. Yeah, <laughs> inhuman. Like a see, you know, series finale of Six Feet Under. That's our modern like. <laughs> that's it's interesting because that always sticks in my head too. And, um, here's a segue for you. I knew something was wrong when I don't know if you remember Six Feet Under it was an HBO series about a yes. family. Yeah, owned a funeral home. Um, and such an interesting look at death. But I never really watched it. I had no attachment to the show. I really didn't know the characters. My wife was watching it at the time. But for some reason, I saw the series finale. It was the end. It was the last episode. And I was a complete emotional basket case for like four After days. watching none of the episodes and no... Yeah, right. And that's how I knew, like, uh, something's up here. Like, my emotions were so scrambled. I was going through the antidepressant withdrawal at the time. And that's that was the red... The final episode of Six Feet Under, which was nothing but raw emotion for me, even though I had no reason to feel that, was my red flag. Like, okay, I'm in for a ride now. There's a, there's a thing going on. Um, <laughs> I love it, though. I, and I think in a way, like, so the Greeks invented that stuff because maybe they lived in a different time. So in a time where there was, you know, the time of the city-state and consistent conflict and conquest and everybody was always invading everybody else. You, that emotional conservatism probably served the same purpose as it, as it did in the UK during the war. Uh, mm -hmm. So let's actually build some conventions into our society to allow ourselves to feel what we need to feel, because otherwise we got to have that stiff upper lip so that when the Spartans come, we can hold them off here in Athens, you know. So, but we live in a different world now. You're right, 100% right. So. You know, if, you, if you're listening, you struggle with anxiety, disorder, fear, fear. You know, it, it, I often hear this a lot from clients or people, and they say, I was out and I forgot about my anxiety and I was having a really nice time. And then suddenly, all this joy and my threat response hated that. And it just triggered an, a huge adrenal rush, a huge panic. And what. <laughs> What's 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 really nice is that like well, actually no I was going to quote from Sally Winston and Mike see if they say you know like just a simple sentence that stuck with me it's not even it's not really that profound it was just anxiety hates any threat to hypervigilance so if you're out having a nice time and you've not been anxious for ages don't be surprised if anxiety comes and like hits you and that's where it's super important to remind yourself even though anxiety struck and you're having a nice day out with the family or you're on a first date or you're on holiday and you realize, actually, I'm not really been thinking about uh, my anxiety. What you got to realize then is that actually, well done. So even though it feels rubbish that it's kicked in, you're on the right track. If you suddenly feel a bit overwhelmed, about, that's what you're practicing with. You know, Drew and I bang on about exposures and stuff all the time, but the exposure is to play with happiness. You're not going to nail it first time. But what doesn't help is that extra narrative that we're challenging about not having emotions at all. Yeah, We flip it on its head. Go and be emotional. Go and be hard. Go and be sad. The other day I was so sad. and For, for two days I was sad. You know, old me would have been like, oh my God, I've been sad for two days. What if it means I withdraw and kill myself, whatever. No, it wasn't that. It was, I'm just sad because that's actually healthy. You know, I was angry and stuff like that. I took it to personal therapy. I still go to personal therapy, not for anxiety disorders, just because I am a therapist and I've been through a lot. So it's, it's nice to just check in with my therapist now and then I do my due diligence. 
yeah. and practice what I preach. Um, unless you're an alpha lion, then, you don't need a therapist. Take your spear and kill an animal. <laughs> Wear his fur to work and show everyone how manly you are. No, or no, just to show to model. Actually, you know, I still go sometimes. I go to therapy for twenty minutes. Sometimes I go for the full hour. It doesn't matter. But yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well done to you if you're at that stage. That means you're in a good stage of recovery. Don't fall into the, oh, and back at square one thing again, which I know that you're very familiar with, Drew. Any uh, words on that? Back back at square one. I was doing yeah. so well, and it came back. Yeah, I'm back, I'm back to square one. And I hear that about emotions all the time. Like, I was doing so well, but I, I feel so sad. And now now I'm obsessed with the idea that I'm, I'm depressed. This is the beginning of depression. And you know, the answer is always the same. Like, no, this is not like your emotions did not wash away all of your recovery and all of your the things you've learned and all of your experiences. That's not true. You're just, you're allowed to, first of all, the thing I always tell people is number one, you're allowed to feel. In fact, I would prefer that you do because that's what humans do. You can't stop it. And you have to stop looking at emotions as the enemy and the that it's somehow, if I feel something strongly, it wipes away the last two weeks of successful exposures and lessons and the, and the progress that I'm making, it doesn't, emotions don't wipe away anything. They don't do anything. They're momentary. You know, if we want to get all sort of Buddhist about it, like everything is, everything is momentary, including your emotions. So just let it be what it is at that point and understand that that narrative of I'm back to square one and this is ruining me is just an anxious narrative. Mm -hmm. Oh, thanks. Thanks for trying lizard brain. I appreciate you trying to help me out, but I'm just going to love go that. Yeah. I, I love that. Just another, what if, it's just another anxious narrative like, hey, I know you're trying to help me out here, but I'm just going to go and lay on the sofa and cry for an hour. See you later. Yeah. And you can't take this away from me, okay? I'm going to be anxious now. I can't control that, but I'm going to keep committing to it. You know? Yeah. So I really like acceptance and commitment therapy. It's all about that. It's about like, you know, like you're not going to – so I hear a lot of – I have had a lot of anxious clients, anxiety disorder clients, and people who revere emotional conservatism clients. Um, counting down to their wedding day or you know, the birth of their kid or whatever and but they've had this safety behavior for so long that not you know neutralizing all their emotions and it's a bit like well but then also they're like i need to enjoy my wedding day a hundred percent and be euphoric from the moment i wake up well you're not because here's the here's here's the truth here's the anxious truth uh <laughs> is that honest i used to <laughs> When I was a student, I worked at weddings. I used to do like table hosting, bar work, uh, waiting, uh, lifting, or basically I just did everything. You know, all the stuff you don't see on your wedding day. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, student work, <laughs> yeah. uh, washing, dishwashing. I must have worked over a hundred weddings, and honestly, the vast majority of them, like they don't yeah. in the day, they don't enjoy it. But a, a wedding is something that they look back on and enjoy, and enjoy the yeah. memories and the photos and the videos. But in the day, everyone's stressing out. They're people pleasing. They're they're arguing. <laughs> it's like only a handful of weddings I've been to. Where it's just like, and then one was in a field where genuinely, the the, the man and woman who got married. Um, no, actually, it was two guys that got married, and they were just like, we're just going to sit in a field and do what we like. <laughs> You know what? I'm on board with that. That's a good yeah. move. And they were crying with joy. And that was that. They modeled it. You know, there wasn't, don't put yourself into a mold. I don't know. I went down a wedding tangent there. But, no, it's uh, okay. That's a whole other, you know what? I'll, I'll invite you then. You come back on my podcast and we'll do the flip side of this, which is 
demanding certain emotions, which is another big problem. Oh, yeah. I was at the playground with my son and I didn't feel, I was not bursting with joy and motherly affection and therefore I am (laughs) failing and I'm back to square one and I'm never going to get better. That is just as big a problem. Oh, we can do that with OCD as well, can't we? Because people with OCD, they're like, oh, I should be feeling this, but instead I'm feeling guilt and having intrusive thoughts. Right. Yeah, there's no, been the shoulds, they're boring. They're interjected. That's what they are. It's a whole other topic for sure. It's the flip side of this, not fearing emotions, but almost demanding them and then judging everyone as a success or a failure, as if your emotions are successes or failures, really. Okay. I'm going to give you a test here. We've got a little bit left. Here's here's a challenge. Um, If you were to compress advice for people who are afraid of feeling emotions at both ends of the spectrum, Mm-hmm. Because it will may affect their overall anxiety, but also just in general, what would that? Advice, nice hard question for you. What would yeah. that be? How would you compress that advice? Just sum that up in fifteen words. No pressure. You know, <laughs> Ten I, words. I didn't say fifteen. Tougher every day. I would tell somebody that in the context of anxiety disorder and recovery, the the emotion can be an exposure just like the driving on the motorway or just like the going to the supermarket or just like having to go to grandma's birthday party. Like you're going to have to let go and let that emotion come. And I would understand that it's incredibly scary and it feels so dangerous to you and it feels reckless to let yourself be really sad or really happy. But learning that you are okay while you feel those things is recovery. That is it right there. So your emotion is not a danger. It's not your enemy. It's not something to fear. It's a classroom for you now. Go feel it all, even when it's scary to do that. I love that. You being okay with that feeling that isn't ideal is recovery. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, that's right. Yes. That's, that's 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 you did it. He, he successfully passed. Oh, well done. You did that. Mike, don't drop. That looks like an expensive mic. Don't it's do that. It's an expensive mic. I'm going to drop it, and it's in a stand. Drop the stand. <laughs> just, just a, yeah, that's a really good summary. I, I really like that. Um, you know, that's brilliant. Uh, I'm just going to drop some spiel at the end of this, Drew, if you don't mind. But a mm-hmm. massive thank you, Drew, uh, for coming on, talking about that. I like to keep the episodes to this length. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I went on the other day. There's some guy doing two hours of just him talking into the mic. I'm like, who's doing that? Like, like your brain can't even comprehend all that stuff. I couldn't anyway. Maybe people pause it or whatever. I was just being cynical. Yeah, um, yeah some spiel. Um, I've recently dropped a course called Stop Fearing Fear. And if this episode applies to you, it might apply. You know, this course might help you. It's super affordable. Uh, I put it just like, if you're in America, it's like 100 and Forty dollars, something like that. If you're in the UK, it's about hundred quid. Uh, the, the content itself is worth about a thousand, but you know, I'm not there to to do that. Come and come and enjoy it if you want. Uh, come join the classroom group as well. Um, any listeners who's part of Drew's Facebook group, it's quite similar to that. Everyone's got the similar mission, and it's just kind of your your, your class your fellow students and we share certain things and stuff like that. But yeah, stop fearing fear. You can get that at my new website, schoolofanxiety.com. I've got a new website, Drew. It's still not fully completed, but schoolofanxiety.com. I basically, um, actually, my legal brain went off there. I took inspiration from another, 
<laughs> from another person who created a school of thought and, and applied it to anxiety. So um, we'll get there. We'll get Drew's books on there, recommended reading lists and stuff. I'm really, uh, really excited for it. So yeah, check out the courses, the books, Untangle Your Anxiety. That's doing really well. Links to this. I'll put links to Drew's podcast and stuff on there. And also get in touch because the email's there and with feedback or whatever, and that's really cool. Thank you once again, Drew. Uh, where can people find you specifically? Specifically, everything is at theanxioustruth.com. So all the social media links, the books, all that stuff is all there. So mm-hmm. podcast, just go there. Yeah, go there, find the stuff. I recommend it. I think it's really good. And it's nice to have a friend in this in this sphere of uh, of online mental health stuff that's uh, that knows what he's talking about because a lot of people don't. Um, but, yeah, there we are. You stay safe. Have a lovely week ahead, and I'll catch you next time for the next episode of The Panic Pod. Thank you very much, Drew. You're welcome. Thank you.